welcome to the Submerged by Monk podcast. I'm Laura Fullerton, your host and the founder of Monk, the first smart ice bath and cold water therapy app that's on a mission to transform the world's mental, physical and emotional health. This podcast is for those willing to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and find a better way to live. Each week, I'll be talking to extraordinary humans who have submerged themselves in something from cold water therapy to biohacking, elite performance, longevity, mental health, and more. They'll be sharing their story so that you can rewrite yours. But enough from me, let's submerge. Welcome to another episode of Submerge, and today I'm so excited to introduce you to Dr. Ravi Jain. Ravi and I did what any adults do who meet for the first time, and we went for a dip in the serpentine. So Ravi, welcome to Submerge. So good to have you here. Good morning, and thanks for inviting us along. I'm really excited by this today. So you're a doctor. You've been practicing medicine for over 25 years, as well as being a global expert in aesthetic medicine. The thing that really excited me about you, Ravi, is that I heard you're a doctor who gives lectures in ice baths. (laughs) And I knew at that point you were someone I had to absolutely meet. Yes, that's been really good fun, actually. I was invited to talk at a conference in aesthetics in Croatia, And I just wanted to do something a bit different, really, because I've been speaking and lecturing for over 10 years now globally, and I just wanted to break the mold. And I asked the guy, look, look, let me join on the longevity section, and I'd like to talk about ice baths, but can I do one from an ice bath just to make it even more challenging for me? And the guy thought I was crazy, but we did it. We got it. We'd managed to do a talk from the ice bath, and I had no idea how much work there was involved in one preparing that for a lecture stage but also for myself to prepare mentally how do I talk while in submerged in ice because normally I zone out first and try to meditate so I had to actually start talking right from the off about the benefits of um, ice but in a clear voice with <laughs> a lot of uh, uh, credibility and quality and high-based evidence as well. <laughs> yeah, hats off to you. I don't know how you did that. It's really hard to control your voice whilst in an ice bath. So brilliant. First, I just want to know about you and how you fell in love with ice baths to the point where you give lectures in them. It started a couple of years ago. Uh, I'd heard of this crazy Dutch guy, Wim Hof, doing ice baths and all these records. And and at that time, like many people you've spoken to, I'm sure nothing could have been more unappealing to me than getting anything cold. I didn't understand people who went on skiing holidays in the winter. I would be the person that chased the sun. I like heat, heat, heat. The heating would always be all high. So for me to see this person do something strange like that, I just couldn't understand why people were doing it and why people were talking about it and why there were these classes going on locally. And then I was watching, I think, a Tony Robbins event, and I saw he, after a workout, he would jump into a plunge pool he put in his home. And I kind of like, I was like, I thought, oh, do you know what? I want, I want one of those plunge pools. I was looking outside my house and said, where can I put a plunge pool in? It's the sort of thing I do, get, go off on one. And then I realized, actually, I've got a river in the back garden. There's a river actually in the back, flowing around the back. I don't need a plunge pool. So what I decided to do, I said, right, I'm going to jump into that. And so it was snowing. My daughter thought I'd lost my mind. And I got in and I lasted literally about 10, 15 seconds. Couldn't imagine anything worse. 
But I did it. And I said to myself, by the end of that first week, I want to do two minutes. So I trained every day and gradually got went from 20 seconds to 30 to 50 to a minute. And by the end of that week, I did two minutes. In fact, I did too much. I went on to 20 minutes because I was distracted. I was FaceTiming my friends while I was doing it and ended up, oh, my God, it's 20 minutes. I need to get out. And what happened was I obviously went too far, too quickly, became hypothermic and uh, took quite a while to recover. What it taught me was that actually I found that the first two minutes of any cold water exposure are the hardest. And after two minutes, your body acclimatizes. And then it's just a matter of mental focus. How long do you want to stay in for? And I found that it's about balancing the time in the water and the temperature in the water with your recovery. How long is your recovery? So anything between about two to 10 minutes is probably the ideal times I've found. Anything below 10 degrees is therapeutic, really. Obviously, the longer you go, the colder you go, the shorter you stay in for. You just said something really interesting about measuring the time in the water spent with your recovery. How do you measure your recovery? Like, How are you actually defining that? So what happens is once you're in the water, your, your peripheral circulation, so the circulation to your arms and legs tends to constrict and so that the blood is diverted and stays around your body, your core and your brain. And that's to preserve the heat around there. When you come out of the cold water, your body, re- the cold receptors on your skin, your body realizes that, okay, I'm out of the danger area. I can now start to let those blood vessels open up. So your, your feet and your arms and legs, they start to open up. And what happens that is that that cold blood that was trapped in your limbs now gets sent to this core and that cools your core down. So you get a drop in temperature after coming out rather than while you're still in the cold. And that can then lend itself, your body then needs to heat up. And it can do that two ways. It does that through uh, brown fat, which we'll talk about later, I hope, where brown fat starts to produce heat. And the worst, what we find uncomfortable is the shivering. Your body will start to shiver. And the, the and that's what I call the recovery period, where your body's shivering and you really can't hold a cup of tea very well or write or type or whatever. So that's the period that I consider my recovery. And with a good balance of duration and temperature and with good practice, you can fine-tune that recovery to just one or two minutes. If, if anything, you might not shiver sometimes if you've trained well. If you were to shiver a lot, would you consider that a good or a bad thing? And also, do you try and stop shivering or do you embrace it? It depends what your objective is, really, Laura. Shivering is a good thing. It's a necessary thing. If your body is shivering, it's because you're hypothermic or you're verging on hypothermia. So your core temperature is too cold. So your body really needs to shiver. And that's the quickest way your body knows how to if you haven't got enough brown fat stores producing heat. But the only way to stop shivering is to heat up. Mm-hmm. And the quickest way to heat up is is by shivering. So there's no quicker way. You can shorten the shivering period by heating with other methods, such as heat, like sauna can help. But I find that literally a hot drink inside you is the best way because that heats your core. The other way is to heat the palms of your hands. So holding a hot cup or a heat pad or the ones you use for injuries that you can microwave and obviously wrapping up. I found the worst thing to do after a cold exposure, jump into a hot shower or a hot tub. Uh, that's just too much. 
and you'll start releasing all chemicals in your blood, which will cause cramps and pains as well and potentially fainting. Yeah. And you also miss out on the metabolic benefits, right? Your body isn't then trying to heat itself up. You're using external source to heat it up. And that's actually where you get some of the weight loss benefits as well. Yeah. I just get concerned a bit about weight loss claims with cryo and ice baths because I think it's more weight maintenance. Uh, and the main reasons for weight loss and obesity in the world today are diet related and poor exercise. And those modifications have to be taken into account first before we start thinking of using ice as a instead of, which is what some people will look at it as instead of making those lifestyle changes. Yeah, totally agree. It's a really important uh, distinction. I think it's a really phenomenal tool as part of a wider toolbox, but it's not, you know, it's not the band-aid. It's definitely not the cure-all. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when we've talked about cold water therapy before, you've also talked about wanting to buck the family trend. What do you mean there? So my father's side of the family are what we call cardiopaths. There's a strong family history of early heart disease. So heart attacks. Uh, An uncle of mine died in his 40s with a heart attack. My father had a stroke at 53. They've all been diabetic. There's high blood pressure. So in my early 20s, I saw that this is a trend that I could end up joining in if I don't do something about this. Now, it's kind of opened up a whole new world to me and looked at the whole sciences behind longevity, health span and lifespan. There are certainly lifestyle aspects, which they're the things that I can modify. I modify my alcohol intake. I'm enjoying the ice baths. I'm enjoying cold water swimming. I'm enjoying infrared saunas. I do have a little weakness. I do like a sweet or two. And that's one thing I really have tried to modify. I've managed to switch from Hagen dazs to Halo Top and Oppo ice creams, which are healthier, I hope. I love the fact that what I'm taking from what you're saying is it doesn't really matter what hand you've been dealt, it's how you play it, which ties into the concept that genetics load the gun and lifestyle pulls the trigger. So I I really love that, that, that you can take control and actually change your future. So your point about longevity, I think that's really interesting. And I know how you've talked before, you've tied it back to brown fat. And I think that's a it's a discussion that hasn't really been spoken about a lot. So I'd love to get into that. So should we start with the different types of fat in the bodies? I think that's a really key point to understand the power of cold water therapy on the physical body. So most people, when you talk about fat, they understandably and automatically think of white fat. And white fat is what we can pinch. That affects our clothes sizes, affects our weight, and it's stored all over our body. And as we get older, it tends to gather in certain areas around our middle and in guys around our chests and back. And as we get older, we find it harder to modify that, the amount of white fat we have. White fat is an energy store. It's essential. We need it to store energy for when we need to use extreme amounts of energy, such as in a fight or flight situation. And the body breaks down white fat to create heat and energy. Now, when we have excess amounts of white fat or excess amounts of energy intake compared to what we burn, that starts to lay down more and more layers of white fat. There's peripheral fat or subcutaneous fat, which sits just below the skin. And that's what you can pinch. And then you've got visceral fat and that sits below the muscles and around your organs. So it sits around your pancreas, your liver, your heart, your spleen, your bowel. Uh, And that's actually quite dangerous. It can increase your risk of heart disease, strokes. So 
it's very important to understand that with white fat, there are two main differences. There's visceral and peripheral fat. Now, when we modify our diet and we're trying to lose weight, the first fat that goes is actually your visceral fat, which is around the organs. So that's the high risk fat shrinks first, which is great. And men and women distribute those fat layers differently. Women tend to lay down uh, peripheral fat or subcutaneous fat first before they put on visceral fat. And men, it's the other way around. So if you think of a man who's overweight and they tend to have a, a big pot belly, okay, you can't pinch that very well because it's actually underneath the muscles, okay? Whereas a woman's tummy, if she's put weight, she, you can tend to pinch it more. And the reason I know a bit about that is because I do quite a lot of liposuction in my practice and it, there's a difference. We have to understand where the fat is. So what you can pinch is what can be removed with any aesthetic fat reduction treatment. And then what you can't pinch is what's inside. And you need to do that with diet and exercise and, mod and lifestyle modifications. Now, brown fat, on the other hand, is really useful at producing energy and it has various metabolic benefits. It's only recently been identified in adults. We know that newborn have brown fat because they are unable to shiver when they're cold. They don't have enough skeletal muscle on board to produce enough energy to modify their body temperature when they're cold. So what they have, they contain a high amount of brown fat. And what brown fat contains inside your cells, there are these uh, structures called mitochondria. And mitochondria burn off the fat cells, burn off the adipocytes. And they, so they produce heat. It's called thermogenesis or non-shivering thermogenesis. So when we're infants, we have higher amounts of, of brown fat. And uh, uh, only up until recently, it was thought that adults don't have any. But it was discovered about 10 years, 10, 15 years ago, that we do have brown fat, typically above our collarbones and around our heart and in our brainstem. Susanna Soberg did a great study published last year where she showed that people who have more exposure to cold, cold water, such as swimmers, they've been shown to have significantly higher amounts of brown fat in their body compared to those people that don't engage in cold water exposure. And then in another paper published, it was shown that it's now possible that white fat can be converted to brown fat, which is absolutely fascinating. You've got this plasticity of tissue. The body can now change a tissue type into another tissue type. And that's as a result of the whole chain of events that happens with cold water exposure with noradrenaline. Noradrenaline has been shown to act on the white fat cells and cause them to express more mitochondria, which then converts them to brown fat cells. And then these brown fat cells stay. It's quite exciting, actually, what's going on here, because the benefits of brown fat cells are just huge because they burn fat. So by burning the fat, they also burn lipids from the bloodstream. So that lowers your lipid count, which reduces your risk of heart disease. They lower sugar. So free sugar in the bloodstream is dangerous. They do that by increasing insulin sensitivity. And so why insulin sensitivity is so important, because it takes blood sugar from the blood and puts it into the cells, which is where it's useful. Any excess amounts of lipids and glucose and sugar that sit in our blood vessels is actually dangerous for our blood vessels. 
it clogs them up. And that's what lends itself to heart disease. That's why you get the lower risk of heart disease. The benefits of cold exposure and brown fat cells have been shown to significantly reduce the apolipoprotein B stroke AI ratio. Now, this protein, these protein ratios have, are now the new indicators for determining the risk of heart, of heart attacks, strokes, and other cardiovascular events. And these, these ratios have been lowered significantly. So cold exposure and brown fat metabolism is really exciting. That's why there's a lot of research going into this to work to help people improve their lifestyles. And soon I suspect there'll be a whole pharmaceutical industry working their way towards improving this, the amount of brown fat and mimicking brown fat as well. That's incredible. Wow. Okay. So I can see how you're using cold water therapy to buck the family trend. There's a very, very clear correlation there. I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so interesting and exciting. And, you know, and, and even if you just look at short term effects of cold water. So, for example, um, I train maybe four or five times a week at my gym with, and so I tend to train with a few buddies. And we wear the MyZone belts and we see our monitors up on the screen. And we, I started trying to do cold baths before my gym in an attempt to see whether I could get more out of my workouts because the colder the old muscles are, I'm going to fatigue a lot later so you can do more reps. And so I was just curious to see what the impact would be. My heart rate dropped by about 10 to 15% compared to my colleagues. And we did that for a whole two weeks. So basically what that was saying to me is that I was able to get more out of my workouts if I wanted. I could, I could push harder if I wanted. But it just goes to show it reduces your heart rate, reduces your blood pressure. Um, we could go on and on about the benefits on the heart, but there's also the benefits on the mind as well. Firstly, can I just say that's incredible that you could actually see the difference in 10 to 15% in heart rate. That's a lot. I think I heard Andrew Huberman talking about that and using cold water to pre-cool before workouts. But at first, it seemed like an odd thing to me because... You always think you need to warm up. You need your muscles to be warm. That just shows that the opposite is true. It's an interesting one. I would think that as well. You still need to stretch, you know, do your warm up. We're not replacing that. I think if you just go in cold without stretching and mobilizing, you've got a higher risk of injury for sure. Um, but it's the impact on your heart rate and the cardiovascular uh, output that you're putting in there. That was interesting and exciting. So Andrew Huberman talks a lot about pre-cooling and also cooling during a workout. And I think there have been some devices where you can get these gloves and you can cool your palms down because it's the quickest way to cool your core temperature is to cool, is to cool your palms down. But we don't have those facilities at our gym and I'm not going to take an ice pack with me to my gym just yet. This is interesting. We'll come back because you just touched on some of the mental benefits. I'll come back to that in a bit. But what I'm really interested in is what you're training for, because you told me you're doing the ice mile. Ice mile swim or ice mile run? Swim. Talk to yeah. me about that. So, <laughs> yes, ice mile. I should, what is that? An ice mile is really where you swim in a water that's less than five degrees Celsius. And you have to swim a distance of one mile whichever stroke you want, should take about 30 to 40 minutes. So really what I'm aiming to do, I've done my ice baths. I, I can push myself, I've pushed myself most about to 29 minutes in an ice bath at half a degrees. I'm the sort of person that, that needs a new challenge. And I, I prefer sea swimming to pool swimming. 
it's just more variable it's more challenging in my mind but I didn't realize how bad a swimmer I was until my first swimming lesson a month ago where (laughs) I just did one length and I was absolutely shocked you know and I thought I was relatively cardiovascularly fit working out at a gym four or five days a week I was absolutely broken but yeah so the goal is to do an ice mile maybe next winter or early 24 you know sometimes it takes people two or three years to train for this sort of event I'm hoping to do it in about 12 months am I right in thinking that you're very limited by what you can wear oh yes sorry you're right there that's a crucial part yeah you're only allowed to wear a swimming cap and a pair of budgie smugglers effectively no neoprene right so what the, the risks with it there are significant risks with it and that's the issue for me so first of all you have to be deemed fit to be able to take part in this you have to have a medical and they have to check you don't have any irregular heart rhythms on your heart trace so you have to have a full heart trace if you pass that then you're allowed to do it because what happens the cold shock response is significant especially as i'm going to be merged in my face which triggers off what's called the diver response and then my whole body which will trigger off the cold shock response and what happens is you've got these two two reflexes in your body which oppose each other going on at the same time and what that can do that confuse your heartbeat into an irregular heart rhythm which could cause a heart attack essentially so that's the first risk so that's why gradual acclimatization is important and that's why they don't recommend jumping in to do this within a few weeks of training the next thing is hypothermia okay so after about 30 minutes at less than five degrees you've got a significantly higher risk of becoming hypothermic And that can show itself by, first of all, feeling cold inside your body, slurring of speech, not being able to move your muscles very well, confusion, and then finally lack of consciousness. So what happens is um, during the training, your coaches or your colleagues, your friends have to be making sure they're conversing with you to check that you're still alert and stuff because you don't feel it come on yourself. So hypothermia is the real challenge as well afterwards. I feel like you've bitten off quite a big challenge. I'll be there on the sidelines cheering you on. Oh, the more the merrier. That'd be great. I was speaking to this guy yesterday who's done a nice mile. He trained for it in seven weeks, but he's a massively experienced cold water swimmer, former world champion. And even he says he nearly drowned twice during training because he said that the tongue couldn't tell the difference between air and water. So when he was taking a deep breath. Oh, wow. When he was breathing, he actually was breathing in water twice and filled his lungs up with water twice. So that's why it's always important to swim with someone near you or with you at all times. But he says it should be possible for me to do it, but just take your time and make sure you've got respect the challenge, as it were, because it is it is a dangerous one. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, you've you've really got to respect the cold. You realise when you start engaging in some form of cold water therapy practice that it, it isn't something to be messed with. And that's that's something that's so important at Monk, right? We want to teach people how to do it safely and effectively. Absolutely. You've got the breathing coaching, you're bringing people on board gradually and gradual exposure to cold is so rewarding. It's much more rewarding than jumping in and straight away wanting to do 10 minutes because that's a horrible 
10 minutes when you're fighting, 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 you've got the cold shock response that you're fighting against and the fear and then the pain. Whereas if you build up gradually with the breathing techniques, you go yourself into a meditative state and you do maybe 30 seconds or a minute or two minutes, it's actually so much more rewarding. And I've when I've coached friends into doing using the ice bath at mine, those that have gone in for 10 minutes straight away have had the longest recovery compared mm. to those who've gone in gradually and built up. So yeah, what monk are doing is, uh, it's just absolutely the right way to do it. Thank you. appreciate that, especially from a doctor. <laughs> so we touched on the mental benefits earlier. What have you noticed from your own personal practice? So once you get in, so first of all, there is a huge anticipation of fear of what this is going to be like. Am I going to do this? Is this going to hurt me? And also, is this going to be dangerous for me? If you know when you get in what how your body is going to respond, you're better prepared. So first of all, when people get in for the first time, they're going to get in and they're going to have that cold shock response. And they go, breathe quickly, deep breath in, and their head's going to say, get out, get out, get out. But with your coaching, you're going to be reassuring them and saying to them, no, it's going to be fine. That feeling is going to pass probably in about 90 to 120 seconds is typically when it does that, depending on the water temperature. What's happening during that initial phase, your cold receptors are just firing off everywhere. Your body's just gone into overload. And so what happens then, your, the noradrenaline in your brain just gets released and all over your body, the whole sympathetic system's firing off. Okay, it's just gone into panic mode and, and, and stress mode. But what's really interesting with the noradrenaline, the adrenaline that's increased, is that you don't get an associated cortisol increase to the same degree. And cortisol is the stress hormone. Now, some studies show that it lowers and some studies say it goes up a little bit. So more work's needed in that area to clarify that. And it's that noradrenaline that's really working on your blood vessels and diverting the blood to the core. But also what noradrenaline does, it increases the focus attention in your brain. And so your actual clarity becomes clearer. The first minute or two, you shut down and it becomes confused. But after that, once the noradrenaline takes effect, you start being able to be a bit clearer. And that effect is what I harnessed and trained when I was preparing for my ice lecture, I started to train my brain to engage the focus straight away rather than having to have one minute or so to adjust. Next, when you come out, when you come out, the effect, the noradrenaline has increased the sensitivity of your dopamine and that dopamine level that's gone up suddenly becomes exaggerated. So you get this high and I haven't met anyone that comes out of an ice bath without feeling great like really amazing love the fact that they're tight and toned you know uh, and they love the fact that they've just done something which they never ever thought they would be able to do and they've always wanted to know have you got a photo of that did you get a photo did you film it did you film it? so there's a real good feel good factor associated with it with repeated exposures those effects become sustained and sustained and sustained so for myself personally i started the ice baths and the ice and the river exposure in January 21, which was, I think, one of our lockdowns, I think the final lockdown we had, I was probably at one of my lowest points uh, mentally. And I found that that helped somewhat to alleviate some of that depression and those low moods and the results of what were a miserable year for like everyone went through as well. 
And I think cold water exposure benefits aren't just related to the cold water as well. From the psychological point of view, there are some social and community benefits as well, which contribute to the effects of the dopamine hit as well that we get. Now, I find that by using the cold water, it sets me up mentally for the day in the sense that I can, I feel I can do anything. When you've done an ice bath, you feel invincible. You almost feel like you should get your cape on, your, your spandex out and stand there proud. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And, you know, that speaks true to, to exactly what I've experienced with the cold. And it's just that clarity and that feeling of achievement, I guess, first thing in the day is amazing. It's like a reset for the day. That's why I recommend people do it first thing in the mornings. And again, how do people start? I suggest cold showers first. Definitely do cold showers first. If you haven't, if you haven't got an ice bath, jump into a cold shower. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I mean, we've covered a lot today, especially talking about the cardiovascular benefits as well. But that's something we haven't really gone into before. Is there anything else you would like to tell people? Definitely start it. You've got to work out your reason why you want to do cold water exposure. And some people may be a challenge. Some people may be because it's on trend at the moment Some for their socials. And some people, maybe they've got longevity goals and other people it may be contributing to recovery maybe for mental health it may be for cardio protection just choose your reason and then to start off with i would suggest cold showers in the morning start off with your regular warm shower if you have one and then build up gradually go to 20 seconds try to get to 30 seconds if you can't quite cope with just a cold water tap mix it down to about half the normal temperature you normally do but you want to get to about two minutes within about a week and if you can aim for that, you'll be so proud of yourself and you'll feel the benefits of the cold water and the dopamine, the noradrenaline and your own pride of that you've managed to challenge yourself and do something yourself. And that will set you up for a great day, guaranteed. Preach it. <laughs> so Ravi, if people want to stay in touch with you, where can they find you? The best place is really on Instagram. I'm there as me, Dr. Ravi Jane please follow me and uh, I'm happy to talk about anything to do with ice water, cold baths, anything like that. Thank you, Laura. It's been great to see you today. Likewise. Hey guys, what an episode. If you enjoyed it as much as I did, please do share it on social. Tag us at Discover Monk. And if you're feeling really generous, leave us a review on Spotify or wherever you stream your podcasts. This will help us reach as many people as possible who want to experience better mental, physical and emotional health. I'll see you next episode. And until then, keep lunging.